Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, politicians and activists from the two major parties gear up for the last week of campaigning in Mississippi before next week's election. They're trying to go to swing states. You'll have groups of people who want to get out and go door to door, make phone calls. I did this in 2004. We went to Florida. We went to Florida and tried to help the the Republican nominee in Florida. That year, of course, it was George W. Bush in 2004. Then municipal leaders in the state need more money for infrastructure. Later, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on helping the imprisoned and harvesting oysters in Biloxi Bay for the first time in 40 years. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians will go to the polls a week from today, casting their ballots in races from president to state Supreme Court. In the remaining week, Republicans and Democrats in Mississippi are marshalling their forces to get out the vote for their candidates. In a state where the GOP dominates in statewide races, the party still places great emphasis on getting out the vote. MPB's Desiree Frazier spoke with Austin Barber, a Republican strategist and advisor in Mississippi. He tells her down-ballot races are getting a lot of attention too. Well, I think in the state, what you've got um, are people who are out working hard to try to elect Donald Trump and organizational uh, efforts and so forth. Uh, not as much as, as you see in other states because Mississippi is obviously a traditionally uh, red state. That I don't know the last time that, that voted for a Democrat. So are you kind of relaxed a bit? Is there anything to really get you charged up? Well, I mean, you have a lot of different races, even outside the presidential race, not just here in Mississippi, but throughout the country. You know, our U.S. Senator Roger Wicker is the chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Um, the Republicans hold a slim lead in the U.S. Senate, and we need to con- we need to continue to hold that lead. Uh, Thad Cochran as appropriations chairman is a big deal for our state. The senior position that Roger Wicker has uh, in the U.S. Senate is a, is a big deal, and I know Senator Wicker is working very hard uh, on making sure that Republican Senate candidates throughout the country in these big swing states have the funding and support that they have, so we can continue to uh, not just try to um, not just try to you know, win the White House, but to keep the Republican Senate majority as well. 
what's happening on the ground. I think what a lot of Republicans are doing, they're trying to go to swing states. And this is t- traditionally how this has been. You, you, you have, you'll have groups of people who want to get out and go door to door, make phone calls. I did this in 2004. We went to Florida. We went to Florida and tried to help the, the Republican nominee in Florida. That year, of course, it was George W. Bush in 2004. So I know that, um, I, I know that Jeannie Lucky, who is the, the national, the Republican national committee woman from Mississippi has been organizing teams of people to go to North Carolina, to go to Florida, to go help the efforts in those states, because those are two states where actually Hillary Clinton has a slight advantage on Trump and and the presidential campaign needs all the help it can get. In terms of the Supreme Court race and Kenny Griffiths against Jim Kitchens, what can you say about that? I I think Griffiths is probably the, uh, the underdog in this race. Justice Kitchens has been very well funded. He's been up on television, you know, for a probably five or six weeks. He's had a lot of national um, trial lawyer money that's come in to support him. And I think he's run a pretty good paid media campaign, makes himself as sort of a judges are not populist, but if you try to look at that from terms of a, a politician, a sort of a populist, well-liked guy, I think his ads have been pretty good. There have been some national efforts to try to help uh, his opponent, Griffiths, in this race. And we'll see. I think it's probably, if I had to say who's, you know, the underdog is probably Griffiths in this race, but you never can tell. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Republican strategist Austin Barber. Brandon Jones is a Democratic strategist in Mississippi. He tells Desiree Fraser the party is working on recapturing some ground in the state. Tyrone Hendricks, local councilman here in Jackson, has been the chairman for the Hillary Clinton campaign here in Mississippi. And I think he's done a fantastic job of drawing together people of influence and and grassroots support to try to, you know, drive up voter education and to drive up support. So I I give him a lot of credit for the effort that he's led. you know, it's an uphill battle for Democrats in Mississippi. I think last year's race has proved that. And so I don't think that it does us any good to beat our chest. But, you know, look, we're seeing some growth. We're seeing growth in voter registration numbers. We're seeing growth in party participation. And we're seeing uh, young people increasingly come to our side. And so we're optimistic about the future, and we see some good activity this year. As you mentioned, Democrats have struggled. Why is the party struggling so much here? Well, I think that when you have a uh, state that has been pretty solidly Republican for a a good decade at least, um, you start to have some real electoral problems. I mean, that's a hard task to overcome. I think Republicans will tell you uh, that were Republicans 30 years ago what a tough challenge it was for them to get a foothold in the state. Um, And so when you're the minority party, it's just a lot of hard work. And the truth is we're learning there are no shortcuts. It's all about the basic blocking and tackling. You have to communicate your message better. You have to do better with your GOTV and voter identification efforts during the campaigns, and I'll give my Republican colleagues a lot of credit. They have just beat us at that effort for for going on several election cycles now, and we're trying to catch up. There are several Supreme Court races that are going to be decided. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, there are uh, a couple of candidates that uh, are in very tough races. I think, to be fair, the most competitive race is here in the Central District. And, of course, I personally am going to be supporting Justice Jim Kitchens to be reelected. He's a guy that has a terrific track record as both a prosecutor, a private lawyer, and now as a Supreme Court justice, has been tapped more 
more than any other justice to write opinions and to has voiced his opinion on dissent. Um, just an articulate, level-headed candidate who's running a tough, you know, campaign, and uh, like to see him reelected. And he's running against Kenny Griffiths. That's right. Who, who is who, you know, look, he is being funded by some traditional Republican uh, powers, both in state and out. As a matter of fact, I think the Republican Party, as we speak, is in the process of endorsing Mr. Griffiths. Um, BIPEC and some other groups here that have been heavily involved in Republican politics for a long time are paying for his ads. And then there's a dark money group out of D.C. that's funded primarily, it looks like, by Carl Rove's friends that's that's running the other ads. So that's tough. I mean, when you're in a race and that money starts pouring in at the end, that's a tough fight. But uh, I'm optimistic that Justice Kitchens can hang on. Got a couple of House representative races, and one of them, I think, is to replace Herb Frierson's seat. Uh, yeah, you know, look, it's, it's, I'll tell you, it's challenging to be a down-ticket candidate in this environment because you are fighting the national circus to get your message out. And people are listening and paying attention to the presidential races, and they don't have a whole lot of energy left for what's going on below the ticket. So I get a lot of calls almost every day as we get closer to the race at my law office with people saying, well, who do we vote for here? <laughs> you know, who do we vote for here? And I think that's reflective of the fact it's very difficult to penetrate whenever you're running on the presidential ticket. Mississippi Democrats are optimistic about the future. We have had some uh, admittedly difficult races in recent past, but we're seeing enthusiasm grow. Uh, we're seeing uh, more and more people become active in the party. We're seeing more and more professional-grade campaign operatives help out build our campaigns and build a true uh, election apparatus. And so we're optimistic that we'll be able to get our message out better and identify our voters better. And so we're hopeful moving forward. Going door-to-door, anything like that? Yeah, there's been a lot of that. We're, we're all in a process of learning, and I think that we're learning the best way to canvas voters, the best way to use our voter data, the best way to target our message so it hits the right audience. So we're learning a little bit about all of that and doing all of it. MPB's Desiree Frazier with Democratic strategist Brandon Jones. In other news, municipal leaders from around the state will ask lawmakers to send additional tax revenue back to cities and towns for infrastructure repair. MPB's Paul Boger reports. Mississippi Municipal League Director Sherry Vizay says cities and towns around the state are struggling to keep their infrastructure in compliance with federal mandates. We're starting to hear from even our smaller towns that they they need millions of dollars to do what the EPA says they need to do, and they just don't have it. And so we're approaching a critical juncture with this issue, and it, it's not just a Jackson, Hattiesburg, Vicksburg issue. It's going to affect every city and town at some point. In order to meet some of the financial demands, municipal leaders are calling on lawmakers to increase the amount of money cities receive from sales taxes. Currently, municipalities receive 18.5%. Under the Municipal League's plan, that would increase to 20% over the next two years. But Vicksburg Mayor George Flagg says there are other ways lawmakers can help improve local economies around the state. They need to do a better job with uh, tax incentive, funding these uh, tax credit plans so municipalities can come and use those kind of money. I think we ought to put more money in tourism uh, for the municipality. The fastest way to grow a local economy through tourism and small business growth so they can help us there. City leaders put forward a similar plan last legislative session that made it through committee but died on the floor. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, a story core conversation from Mississippi on helping the imprisoned. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Mississippi Public Broadcasting has partnered with StoryCorps to share first-person accounts of the lives of Mississippians from all walks of life. StoryCorps' mission is to preserve and share the stories of American lives through personal interviews. You can hear these locally recorded interviews each Tuesday morning at 8.30 as part of Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio. These segments will also be available at mpbonline.org. I'm Jeremy Hobson. In addition to voting for president and members of Congress, voters in more than half the states will also cast ballots for judges. But does it make sense for judges to be elected by the people? And what's the difference between a judge who is elected and one who is appointed? That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, credit counselor Chris Burford and assistant professor of finance Nancy Lauter-Janderson are ready to answer your questions about credit, investing, or saving for retirement. Or call in to share your success stories of navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it all, so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Elissa Johnson and Alicia Judkins advocate on behalf of prisoners in Mississippi. The two friends are also colleagues at the Southern Poverty Law Center. In this Mississippi StoryCorps conversation, Johnson and Judkins discuss the negative perception that often persists towards those who represent prisoners. Have you ever just had conversations with people outside of work? I know I have. Or just maybe even online or social media, just the questions on like why we represent the population we've decided to represent. Because for me, it's somewhat frustrating because I'm like, why doesn't everybody love our clients and our population? I don't get the hesitation that most folks have. I was just curious. Did did you kind of have those same urgings or like, why doesn't everybody fight this fight? <laughs> no, I do. I'm convinced that if the if the world could see the guys we see every week the way we see them, I want to say that the world would come around. I want to yeah. say that everybody in America would immediately want to change the way that we treat folks who have gotten in trouble with the law, whether it's the conditions in prisons, whether it's sentencing reform, whether it's reentry programs and, and all of the related consequences and unintended consequences and barriers that folks face. If I could just show you how great this person is, if I could show you how truly caring and protective they are and that they're so much greater than their quote unquote worst deed that right. has them in the current predicament. That That's true. I feel like if people could just truly see them as just that people. And I think when we sit down and we look at our clients, we get to see the very core and essence of who they are, whereas the rest of the world just knows what they did. There are a lot of people who are broken and sick and just need like a lot of love and like I think people underestimate the value of love and hugs (laughs) in this world and like how that would really go a long way when people don't get that early on as they get older and I really really wish that there was some way to kind of capture that so that people could see it. I often think about just in the work that we do across the board whether it's education just wherever it is it's the power of believing in people 
the reflection I, f- I feel like you see in another person when they see that you believe in them and that you care about That's them. That's real. Truly. From the years you've been doing this work, does any particular instance stand out where you saw what you believing in somebody did for them? Absolutely. I mean, you better than anybody else I could have this conversation with just when you're dealing with guys who are locked down that are housed in isolation and just kind of how that can lead to destructive behavior and to be able to witness guys kind of turn a lot of that destructive behavior around. And when you sit down and have conversations with them on the why it happens and just hearing them utter words like, well, you didn't give up on me. You came back to see me even though I did something stupid. You still care even though I messed up. And there's something powerful about another person having that type of unconditional love that knowing no matter what I do, they're not going to leave me. Our guys know that no matter what they do, Miss Alyssa and Miss Alicia are there. My favorite thing, like when we're doing trainings and talking to people, I say our clients, you know, they don't make great decisions, but they're amazing judges of character. How about you? What's been your most impactful moment to date where you saw how what we do truly impacts the person, not just the case, but like the, the people we're dealing with? I think when you see one particular client comes to mind where it's just showing up, like showing up and saying the same thing and being not even the voice of reason, but just a different voice than maybe what else he's hearing from the choir. There are options. Yes, this is a path you've been on. It's a path you know well, but it's not a path you have to stay on. You're a young guy for all intents and purposes. And I think just showing up and being honest, even when things happen, I'm going to, I'm going to check on you. I'm not checking on you because I need something from you. I'm not checking on you because I'm trying to get something from you necessarily or use it or or take advantage or exploit you in any way as much as I want to make sure you're okay. I Mm. want you to be okay. And if there's anything I can do to try to help, I'm willing to do that within the boundaries of the work. As a tough struggle in social justice work is finding that sweet spot of, yes, there are boundaries because this is my work and there's ethics and there's all of those things that are incredibly important. And then you're dealing with people. Right. And we're you know, we're working with people who are almost, you know, in, in need of so much. And there's only so much we can do. We can't be there all the time. We come as often as we can to check on them and do this and do that. I think just showing up for people and knowing that I'm going to give you my best every time. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, credit counselor Chris Burford and assistant professor of finance Nancy Lotter-Janderson are ready to answer your questions about credit, investing, or saving for retirement. Or call in to share your success stories of navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. 
Hello, Mississippi. I'm Jennifer Naramore, one of your new meteorologists here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We know the difference between a Gulf breeze and ocean springs and afternoon summer showers in Greenville. We're committed to delivering you timely weather information day and night, seven days a week. And when the weather gets serious, we'll be with you every step of the way. Your place for staying a step ahead of Mississippi's weather is MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. In addition to voting for president and members of Congress, voters in more than half the states will also cast ballots for judges. But does it make sense for judges to be elected by the people? And what's the difference between a judge who is elected and one who is appointed? That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Biloxi Bay is open today for oyster harvesting for the first time in at least 40 years. The harvest started at sunrise this morning. Melissa Scallon with the Department of Marine Resources in Biloxi tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the area was reopened because water quality has improved in the bay and there are more oysters on the reefs. The last time is is from what we've been able to tell from records is... Uh, about between 40 and 50 years ago was the last time that oyster harvesters could get oysters from that area. So our staff has been working really hard to make sure the water quality met the FDA requirements um, and that there were oysters on those reefs that could be um, harvested. And so what happened 40 or 50 years ago? You know, we're not really sure. It does have to do with the water quality. You know, the water quality has to be right, and the resource has to be there. The oysters needed to be there, and those two things just, you know, did, just didn't happen. Um, and so we moved. So most of the reefs that were approved were in the Western Sound near Past Christiane and, and Hancock County. So, but we've been working on this for a while, and so now the water quality is good, and we have some oysters there, so we're able to open it up for tongers. How are there now oysters there? Well, we've been working to to plant some cult plants there and, and to make it more conducive um, to put oyster, like for lack of a better term, baby oysters, you know, spat and that kind of thing, on those areas so that they would grow. So um, so once the oysters grow and once we test them and do water sampling and test the oysters, then we knew that they were of the right size, legal size, that you could, uh, they could be harvested. Are these some of the oysters that were moved ahead of the Bonnie Carey Spillway opening? Yes, some of them are those oysters. So in terms of the water quality, what, what has to happen for these oysters to be approved? Because I assume they will be eaten. So I assume there's at least some some things that have to be, you know, checked off a list, I guess, before that's allowed, right? Right. We do, we and we do water quality samples um, in oyster areas all the time. We sample extensively before we open a season. So, you know, you have to look for different, you know, bacteria or, you know, last year, you know, we had the problem with the red tide and, you know, you have to make sure that all these things are, are good, that the water quality itself is good. So we sample the water extensively before we can, and we have to report those results and, and get the okay from the FDA. And finally, that has all happened. And so what about the rest of the oyster season? Are um, oyster fishermen out anywhere else right now? 
Right now they are not. We had to close the season in the western portion of the Sound because we reached our our limit for oysters. It was uh, nearly 28,000 sacks of oysters. Our commission had approved um, the taking of about 35% of the stock we had there, and so we met that quota on Friday. So we had to close those reefs. The goal is to keep some for next year, let them grow, and, and so that we'll have a good oyster harvest next year. And what about this uh, this oyster mini season, I guess? Are there some restraints on the number of sacks that can be harvested or the type of harvesting? The only, it, tonging is the only type of harvesting that will be allowed. Uh, dredging will not be allowed. It's very close to the shore. And so it will only be the tongers. And there's a 15 sack per day limit. So that's what their their limits are for this season, and we'll have to see how long it lasts. As you know, how how many oysters they catch. And is, are you um, like going to a certain number of sacks, or is it a certain number of days that it's going to be open? We haven't determined that yet. We're going to see how many fishermen we get, how many sacks they're catching, and so for right now, the only restriction is it's opening on November first. We are fifteen sacks per day of a limit, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So it's unlikely, I guess, that you'll have an oyster season anywhere else, like before Thanksgiving or Christmas? Um, it, it is doubtful. We, If that happens, we certainly will do it because we know how much people like oysters for Thanksgiving dinner and oyster dressing and that kind of thing. But, um, but we will just have to see how the rest of the season goes. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Melissa Scallon of the Department of Marine Resources on reopening Biloxi Bay to oyster tonguing for the first time in four decades. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Money Talks in Legal Terms and Southern Remedy. If you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. 